Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and welcome to another in the series of Sam Talks Technology. And I'm really excited today because I've got a great guest on. His name is James Cridland. James is a radio futurist and a podcasting expert. And nicely, James is now living down in Australia. Hello, James. How are you? Greetings. I'm very good. I'm very good. Good, good, good. Um, James has been in the radio industry for about 30 years. And uh, I have to say, I very rarely read many other podcasts or listen to many other podcasts or read many other newsletters. But James is my go to every day for certain. Um, James, you've got a newsletter called podnews.net. And you also have a podcast. When did you start both of those? Yeah, so um, Pod News, I started a couple of years ago. I was at uh, something called the Worldwide Radio Summit, which was in Los Angeles, which is kind of, it's a bit like the Worldwide um, Series of, of Baseball in that it's mostly Americans there. Um, <laughs> and um, I was having a chat with a friend of mine and they were saying, there really isn't any news about podcasting. There's no way to find news about podcasting. Um and I've actually been involved in podcasting since uh, January of 2005. So I've got a pretty good understanding of what, of what it was all about. And I thought, well, there might be something there. So I started Pod News what, um, uh, two and a half years ago. And, um, and it's a daily newsletter uh, that's uh, built to be about three minutes um, of your day. Um, and it should link to the, the biggest and most interesting stories in the industry of podcasting and on demand. Yeah, I, and I have to say, I'm sorry I haven't been with you for the whole two and a half years or so, but um, I have I have started in the last six months reading it. Um, yeah. How long does it take you to do that newsletter? It must must take you a long time. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you know, I I mean, I joke that it um, you know it takes uh, it takes a few hours a day plus um, fifteen years of experience, um, which is <laughs> yeah. probably fair enough. Knowing no, where to I look. Mean, yeah, I mean, you know, so quite a lot of it is, um, you know, originally the idea was I was going to write something that was quick and simple and straightforward that I could do if I needed to in half an hour because I do other things as well. Um, but actually, it's taking more and more of, of my time as podcasting has increased. And that's probably a good thing, you know, so it's a good, uh, it's a good, uh, you know, three, four hours, uh, you know, every day of making sure that I'm understanding what is actually going on, but also, you know, trying to get some view of, you know, what, uh, of uh, some of the more interesting stories you couldn't necessarily get with just a, you know, a standard Google news search. So yeah. that's basically what I end up doing. Yeah. You're, you're curating it really, aren't you? You're finding the best yeah. of the best. Yeah, um, indeed. Now um, you also have built an Alexa skill on top of this, I believe. Is that true? Yeah, so um, uh, the uh, the certainly the, the there isn't necessarily an Alexa skill, but there is. Uh, I am on the flash briefings on uh, Alexa as well as um, as well as the equivalent on Google uh, speakers as well. Um, I used to have a Google skill, um, but nobody used it, and so I stopped. Uh, <laughs> so I stopped that because it's far far easier. Given that it's a podcast, which is you know again two and a half minutes long. Um, it, uh, you know, that's what Google's news briefings and Amazon's flash briefings are there for. So actually, it made more sense to actually be in there. 
Um, but that's been really that's been really useful and really interesting, you know, to be there. And you can certainly see that there are quite a lot of people who use that every single day. Yeah, and that was what I was going to ask you. I mean, you know, clearly you just said the skill didn't generate traffic, but the the, the Alexa and Google Home briefings are generating. So it's nice to see that people are going down that voice route as well, using different ways of accessing content. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I wake up to a Google um, speaker every single morning and um, for a while the Google speaker... That's not a nice way to call the wife. (laughs) For a while the BBC would give me, you know, news from um, here in Australia, news from the UK because, you know, things are happening in the UK apparently. So so it turns out, um, you know, so I would wake up to that sort of thing and then wake up to the radio as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and that works really well. And it's really handy to be able to, you know, when I'm sitting there making breakfast or something, to be able to actually say, what's going on in the news and it'll tell you so um you know so that works very well from that point of view it's um you know ideal for a short news briefing which is all that pod news is uh, although of course you can get it as a podcast as well okay so let's get back to some of the things we want to talk about which is what's happening in the world of podcasting and then we'll cover what's happening in the world of radio um yeah. Podcasting, this is this really the second dawn of podcasting in many ways. As you said, you were involved very early on in the first generation of podcasting, which sort of rose and then died its death. Why are we seeing a resurgence in podcasting at the moment then? Um, I don't know whether resurgence is the right way. I mean, certainly podcasting has been growing slowly for a long, long time. The rate of growth has changed recently and the rate of growth is now faster. Um, personally, I would rather that it wasn't, uh, that it didn't increase too too quickly because when you increase too fast, then bad things happen. Um, but I think, you know, when certainly if you were to look back over the last 10 years and the only figures that we've really got are figures from the, from the US, but um, looking at how podcasting has grown over the last 10 years, it's been pretty consistent, which is actually, I think, pretty good news for the long term future of the medium, because you're not necessarily seeing a massive boom and bust. You're not seeing, you know, um, a six-month thing of it. Now everybody's on Vine. Now nobody's on Vine. Now Vine gets closed down. Yeah. Uh, you're not seeing that in terms of podcasting, and I think that that's a good, uh, you know, a good thing for where the industry is going. I think. Okay. One of the headlines from Pod News this week was uh, NPR um, are set to make more money from podcasting than they are radio. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that story? Which, which sounds amazing, doesn't it? So it does. NPR being National Public Radio in the US, of course. Um, and they are saying that the revenue that they make um, uh, from podcasting is going to be bigger than the revenue that they make from radio in uh, 2020. Now, uh, of course, there's more to the story that meets the eye here, given that actually NPR doesn't own any terrestrial radio stations. So NPR programs go out on member stations. So there's a bit of a conversation there about what um you know what radio revenue they make and what um you know what podcasting revenue they make but it's still a really interesting story i think that is a turning point where you can actually see that podcasting has been keeping npr profitable as a company for the last couple of years and now is actually overtaking 
the uh, the sponsorship, the underwriting credits that they have on their stations, um, you know, on the, on their member uh, stations now, um, and that's pretty good because I think it does show that you know companies are taking podcasting quite seriously in terms of both content, which is important, but also in terms of advertising, in terms of uh, revenue generation, um, because what that, um, you know, inevitably brings is it brings all of the other stuff that comes with, uh, with an advertising market. It means that you have, you know, advertising um, uh, systems which are there to help people buy this stuff. Um, and all of the other, you know, uh, personalized advertising and everything else, which um, which should mean that um, podcast advertising can continue to uh, to grow, which is, you know, again, good for the industry in general, I think. Yeah, and I'm going to come back and talk a, a little bit more about advertising within podcasting and, and, and measurement, I think. Um, yeah. I want to start off with um, one of the first four problems that I see with podcasting today or challenges more than problems um and that's discovery um i think apple said there is over seven hundred and fifty thousand different podcasts out there um how are we going to make it uh easier for people to discover podcasts um because there seems to be a new one every day um google has done a little bit of um announcement work saying that they're going to index podcasts but is that enough well i mean i think uh, i think you you can look at it you can look at this on uh, two different uh, sides um so the first side is that um yes you know of course every podcaster wants to make it easier for people to find their podcasts but on the other side you know the amount of podcast consumption is increasing nicely, um, you know, uh, whether that's in the US, in the UK, here in Australia, in many other places. And the reason for that is that we're not just advertising podcasts in the place that people expect podcasts to be. We're advertising podcasts in other places as well. So you pick up a copy of the, of the Australian newspaper, for example, and there is a podcast advertised on the front page or you walk through Times Square and there's a podcast advertised on one of those large um, video, um, you know, advertising spaces, or you turn on the TV and there's a podcast advertised on there. That's actually the important thing. The important thing is to get the four out of five people in the, U in the US that aren't consuming podcasts every single week to get them, give them a reason to actually consume them. Um, and that really is partially you know a job for discovery of podcasts because at the end of the day you know we we can make our apps slightly better at unearthing interesting podcasts that people might actually want but at the end of the day the really low-hanging fruit is the people who aren't listening already um, so let's make sure that podcasts get in front of them and i think that's why things like the new york times is interesting when it's doing the daily and advertising that in the paper and the wall street journal doing the same sort of thing with their daily podcast and you know and everybody else jumping on that bandwagon that's great because it means that podcasting is getting in front of many more people yeah i guess it's back to good old marketing isn't it i mean that's that's what you're saying get the message out there 
Yeah, I think so. And I think that's why actually what Google are doing is quite interesting in that if you, at the moment, you have to search for the word podcast with something, but if you search for, you know, podcasts about grilling, then you will find, you know, a bunch of people who are actually helpful there in terms of, you know, a, a bunch of podcasts there that are actually helpful in terms of what you've been looking for. Um, and so I think that that's um, really helpful in grabbing, you know, there are 63,000 searches every second on Google. Now, if, if, um, if a large number of those have podcasts on those searches, then, you know, imagine uh, how many people will be listening to podcasts as, as a result. So, you know, that's great news, I think. But just getting podcasts in front of people that aren't necessarily um, currently consuming them um, is, I think, where, where the real opportunity is. One topic that I was talking to um, uh, recently, an event I was speaking at, was called Podcast SEO. It's something that I've not really found many people talking about, but it's something that I'd love yeah. to talk to you about. Because as my brain started to think about if Google and Apple and others um, start to uh, index um, pod podcasts, Will we have to start to look at the way that we title our podcast? Will we start to look at the way that we uh, open our podcast and the way that we uh, use keywords within our podcast? Will we have to start to think much more structurally around podcasting or will it just be still free flow and just see what happens type conversations? Well, I'm, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, what works in, um, in, in SEO um, actually is, isn't uh, trying to game the system and use, you know, clever keywords and everything else. What, what really works in terms of Google is um, to put great um, content up on the internet other people link to it and then hey presto you've got uh, you appear very high in uh, google because you're creating fantastic content um and great podcast seo is no different it's make a great podcast and make it easy for people to find that great podcast and if the title of your podcast is episode number 212 yeah then frankly, you don't deserve anybody to find your podcast because how on earth are you making it easy? You yeah. know, if the title of your podcast is something that actually explains what your podcast is all about, that's good news for anybody that's using podcasting. But now, also good news for, you know, Google or, or, or Apple to actually find it. And, you know, and let's be clear about this, you know, Google have been surfacing podcasts in, in search results for a long, long time. Um, they're now surfacing something with a play button, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, you've always been able to find podcasts in, um, you know, in a variety of different places through, through a Google. And both Google and Apple are now doing automated transcripts as well. Um, so if you search in the new Apple Podcasts app on, on the Mac that comes out any day now, or you search within Google, one of the things it's doing is it's searching through the actual transcript of your podcast. Um, and so if you talk about chickens a lot in your podcast, even if you haven't mentioned chickens at all in your, in your title or in your show notes, um, if you're mad enough not to have done either of that, Google will still find you and will still surface that podcast if the information is good. So I think, you know, that should be good news for, for uh, all of us, I think. Brilliant. So discovery is getting better. Uh, marketing has to be done. Um, the next challenge, I guess, is distribution. How do you currently distribute your podcast? I mean, 
my podcast, I use LibSync, but there are other distribution platforms like Podbean. How are you doing yours? And is there a better way to do it? Because right now, frankly, I feel like I've got what I call a shotgun strategy, which is put it in LibSync, hit all the endpoints like LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and, and just hope and pray that I hit the right target audience to come back with traffic because I don't feel there's um, a clear methodology and maybe I'm just new to it. So I'm going to ask you, how do you do yours and is there a better way? Yeah, well, um, so um, it probably helps to get uh, the wording so that we both know what we're talking about. Libsyn is a podcast host and that's where you put a podcast. It doesn't actually, Libsyn by itself doesn't get your podcast anywhere. Um, but Libsyn has some nice buttons that will help you um, press, a, press a button and let Apple know about that particular podcast or let um, Luminary know about it or let, you know, Deezer know about it or, or whatever. But you don't have to use um, a particular podcast host for that. Uh, any podcast host will let you get onto any of those platforms. So there's nothing special about Libsyn. There's nothing special about Podbean uh, or, you know, Omni Studio or whatever it is that you happen to use. And in fact, you can also um, do your, your podcast yourself. Um, you can host it yourself using um, uh, and write the, the RSS uh, uh, feed, which is what I do. Um, and there's a good reason for that. And uh, partially the good reason for that um, is that actually it, it would be a mistake for a podcasting newsletter um, to be beholden to a podcasting host uh, if you're going to write nasty things about that, that podcast host. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. kind of the first, the first thing. But um, on the other side, where do people listen to uh, podcasts? Well, most people listen to podcasts through Apple Podcasts at the moment. They have um, just over 60% of uh, listens to, um, to podcasts. The second most popular place to listen to a podcast is Spotify. Which is amazing how fast that's grown. Yeah, which has grown very, very fast. So what Spotify have realized is that they can keep people within the Spotify app. Um, they can get them consuming great podcasts that they don't have to pay for. Um, and so therefore it's, it's a real opportunity for them to also upsell the music service as well. Um, and that's doing, you know, really well with about 10% of all podcast listens. And then you've got a bunch of much, much smaller ones. So the third on that list is Overcast, which has 3% of, of podcast listens. Um, and that's a little app that's put together by a man called Marco and only works on iPhones and so on. And then you've got things like Stitcher, CastBox, Podcast Addicts, Pocket Casts and Google Podcasts. Um, and so basically at the end of the day, where you should be on as a podcaster is a be on apple podcasts that's really important yeah number two be on spotify because that's important too uh, because it is the number two um the thing about apple podcasts is that their data publishes uh, their data powers um most of the other podcast apps out there so if you want to be an overcast or in podcast addict or in pocket casts or in Castbox, you'll be there if you're in apple podcasts automatically right so frankly okay. you don't really need to worry about any others 
other than Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Google Podcasts, well, Google will find you anyway, so you don't need to, to worry about that. And if you really cared, you might focus on Stitcher, um, which uh, uh, quite a few Android people use, um, which gets you about 2%. Um, but, you know, frankly, um, you know, if you hit Apple and Spotify, then you'll hit 90 odd percent of all podcast listens. Uh, and that's a good thing. Having said that, you know, there's a great big list. If you uh, do a, a search on Pod News for where to add your podcast, um, then you'll find a great big list of all of the places that you can be. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it takes you half an hour to go through some of these and, um, and add yourself onto those. And, and, and you know, why not? Yeah, and it's the long tail because you never know who might be listening on those. There, there, there is also another trend. Um, there's a service called Acast. I'm, I'm sure you've come across it. There is, yeah. Um, which is like trying to aggregate the the top end of the long tail, trying to take the bigger podcasts and aggregate them under one platform and then, I guess, monetize them through uh, uh, pre-rolls or, or supported advertising. Yeah. Um, is this a trend you'll see... Do you think you'll see more of more ACAS or, or, or is yeah, it just I something mean, so, that's going to come and go? Yeah, I mean, so what ACAS is is really doing is it, that, that they happen to have an app, but you should probably forget about their app. Um, I have a feeling that they kind of do as well. Um, really, ACAS is there as a podcast host. Um, and it's a podcast host that sells advertising into your podcast if you're large enough. Um, and there are plenty more of those um, individual podcast hosts that will sell um, that will sell advertising into your podcast if you want to earn some revenue out of that. Um, uh, you know, Acast is probably the most well known, but there's there's also you know there's Himalaya and uh, Anchor will do that sort of thing, and various other people will as well. Um, and I suspect that we will see a bunch of those. Uh, services because there is clearly money to be made from advertising on uh, podcasting um, and that's one way of actually paying paying for it. Um, Acast is uh, a pretty good example of that because they are doing you know they are available you know across the world they're doing some really good and clever uh, work in terms of some of the podcasting advertising that they're doing but there are plenty of others um, and it's one way of earning money out of podcasting i mean another way is to ask your audience for some money and there are quite a few podcasts that are doing that very successfully as well um, and then another way is to actually take your podcast on tour if you're the type of podcast that can do a um a live show you know in a theater um then actually that's a very valid way of earning of earning cash as well uh, and there are a bunch of people doing that so um my dad wrote a porno is one of those examples which yeah. is doing you know she's doing a worldwide tour at the moment so you know there's a bunch of different ways and i think you know advertising is going to be one of those ways and theoretically it's easier than any of the other ones um arguably it's also a little bit um you know it's it, it's a little bit more more intrusive maybe but um but yeah but that's uh, you know that that's certainly going to be part of where the future is uh, is is uh, headed there is another part of the future which is people paying for podcasts directly using services like luminary um podimo and other ones where the only way that you can actually hear that particular podcast is if you actually pay you know pay uh, for it yeah i i think That'll be an interesting one to see. Um, 
I'll, I'll come back to that because there was a, I went to see Roger um, McNamee um, last night and he was his new book Zucked and and we were talking about um, the one way to get rid of trolls and to remove advertising and just the, the, the lack of privacy and the selling of data maybe just to charge £10 a month to use social media and would people do that um, there, there's services like Medium now that charge you to read more than five stories and there's a uh, brand new email um, that's the darling of Silicon Valley called Superhuman. I don't know if you've come across that one. Yeah, um, yeah. That charges $30 a month. And suddenly there seems to be a trend back to payment for quality, uh, um, which removes some of the negativity elements of various online services. Uh, and whether social media goes down the road, I don't know. That's uh, we, we, I'm digressing. Sorry. Um, that's just me. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, I, I remember using a, um, uh, a, a web forum um, that was, what, uh, uh, 15 years or so ago? And it's a web forum for people that do websites and that were interested in, in SEO and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in order for you to post on, on that forum, it would cost you $5. And it was a one-off fee. Right. And it was a $5 one-off fee. And hey, presto, they had no problem with spam. They had no problem with trolls. Um, it was a really nice, nice experience because they just put that tiny hurdle in front, which A, meant that you had to be serious, yeah. but also B, meant that actually people knew what your real name was. Uh, and that's an important thing too. Yeah, no, I, personally, I think if Twitter and Facebook did that, they'd clear up a lot of them piss. But anyway, uh, we're not talking about social media today, sadly. No. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm suffering with a cold, so apologies to those people listening who can hear my voice sort of stuttering a bit. Um, okay, so we've covered a bit about discovery, a bit about distribution. Um, we started to touch on transcription and, and what I call accessibility. Um, do you think there, that there, there's a service I use called Otter AI, which I think is brilliant. It's the best one that I've found so far. It's still only probably 80, 90% good. But after a podcast like we're doing now, it's great for me to go and see the transcription and very quickly see some of the key points that you and I may have talked about. Yeah. Uh, and I can pull those out. Have you used any other services? Is there any a better way you think? Because you talked about, um, the next version of the Mac OS and the podcasting app, and you talked about Google. Um, do you think they will be good enough, or do we have to go to the next level of AI and the next level of transcription before we can get? Well, really so I mean, I think I think there's two sides to this. One side is what you use that transcript for. So if you are using a transcript to help people search, then actually the fact that it's 90% right is enough. Um, because if you are searching for specific things in a podcast, then you don't, it doesn't necessarily matter that every single word is correct. But if, if enough words are correct for you to find a particular portion of the audio, then that's fine. Um, if you're using a transcription tool to do show notes, um, then obviously you want it to be as totally accurate as you possibly can do. Um, and that's, uh, and, and you know, one way that I've seen uh, some people uh, using it is they use both uh, Amazon's version uh, and the version that you're talking about. And I think Google have a version as well. Um, you combine all three of those and you get the best, um, you know, the best results out of all of them, um, if you see what I mean. Because hmm. if you've got enough different uh, tr tr 
transcription engines listening to your audio, then you can actually work out what the words probably are. And so you end up with pretty accurate stuff out of that. Um, that you can then take it one step further. And there's um, uh, a couple of tools. I think one's called Descript and one's called Spext. And there are a few other of, of these uh, weird and wonderful tools. But what they do is they take the audio, um, uh, they take the audio, they transcribe it into text, put it into a Word document so that you can then go through the Word document and edit uh, the Word document, which will then edit the audio for you. So you can actually take this particular bit of conversation that we're doing now and move it a little bit earlier if you want to by copying and pasting. Um, okay, and it's when you get Otter there, doesn't then, do that. Yeah. 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 You know, so one, once you get into that realm, then you can uh, make podcasting really easy. You can make um, making radio really easy. Um, and certainly de-umming and de-erring is really simple once you've got a tool such as this, you know, actually there where you can spot the ums and the ers mm. and automatically take take those out if you want to. I was going to say that's, that leads me nicely into, um, while, while we're talking about this, I mean, what tools do you use to create and edit your podcast? Well, um, so I use a, um, the uh, audio editor that I use is Hindenburg, um, Hindenburg Journalist Pro, which is an expensive audio editor, but by heck it's worth it. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm saying this, I have no, uh, no affiliate deal or anything else, um, with it, but it's, um, it's, an, it's an awesome, uh, uh piece of uh, kit that is basically there for radio journalists to put together radio, uh, pieces really quickly. And so it will automatically set all of the levels for you. It's really easy in terms of fade in and fade out and everything else. It just works and it works really fast. Um, so I use Hindenburg Journalist Pro. Um, I've worked out how to publish that automatically to, um, uh, to the place where I put all of my podcasts, which is just on, on some Amazon um, uh, file space. Um, I record with a, a, a Rode podcaster, which I have a feeling that you use as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes. And uh, yeah, and that's sort of pretty well what I, what I use. So because I don't use a... Uh, you know, a podcast host, because I'm only um, sticking things into the code that I wrote, I've got a bit of a different, um, you know, a bit of a different model than most podcasters out there. Um, but I've done that for, uh, you know, for editorial independence, but also actually for, for uh, speed as well, because it's just, it, it's just a simple case of uploading a file somewhere, and then I know where it is, I know what it's called, and I'm already... You know, I already have all of the text to go alongside it anyway. So, um, yeah, so a little bit different to the way that most people do it. Mm, okay. I mean, just for those who are interested, I use Audacity to edit um, my interviews. I mean, obviously, the live radio is the live radio, and I, that's recorded to the radio station. Um, this podcast here is being recorded to via Zoom. Um, so, they're the ways I do it. And then I edit it in audacity and then top and tail it yeah. with jingles and various bits. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined, uh, going forward cause I'm just finishing building a website for my podcast, um, to host it myself rather than through a libsing or, or whatever. But, 
Yeah. It's interesting I mean, how we all do it differently, I guess. Yeah, it is. It, it is. You're right. And it's interesting how many people um, love, love audacity. Um, uh, and, you know, I mean, I first learnt to edit um, audio using reels of tape and razor blades and sticky tape. So, <laughs> you know, I should, you know, uh, I'm kind of, you know, quite long in the game on this. Um, but one of the things I would say to anybody that is using audacity um, is that you're using... A, a destructive editor and what that means is that um, you know once you've edited something it's actually really hard apart from using the undo button to actually unedit that to actually go oh maybe I should have had the word before or the breath that goes in or anything else it's really hard in audacity to actually do that because you're using a destructive editor that doesn't allow you to actually go Oh, I'll just uh, I'll just move the edit point of this a little bit earlier, um, and that's one big change uh, when you move from one of those to a non-destructive editor like Hindenburg or Adobe Audition or well, basically anything that you have to pay for, with the exception yeah. of Reaper, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, is that is that all of a sudden you know you get that that ability, um, you know, and uh, the the only thing I would say I would say on that is that. Um, if you watch pod news every now and again, Hindenburg do advertise in there and they advertise a three month trial, which you can't actually get on their own site, um, but you appear to be able to get if you follow the ad. Um, so I would give that a go if, if only because actually, you know, it, it gets a bit of, a bit of, you know, getting your head round first, but once you've got your head round it, you suddenly realize the real benefit of something, which is a non-destructive editor, that sets the audio levels for you so you don't have to worry about any of that stuff you can just focus on the editing uh, and that's a really good um, good uh, yeah because half my time is actually trying to get both both volume levels for speakers normalized and then amplified and then yeah you know and, all and, those things and you don't and you don't have to do any of that i mean i think what puts people off um uh, Hindenburg in particular is that it looks really simple there is literally one knob and it's marked compressor right um, and um, and you think well this can't possibly be you know capable of all of the things that I've been doing on my uh, on my other editor and then you suddenly realize oh no it really actually is and you know all of the complexity is actually hidden away because it's built for a grisly old radio journalist who's 45 and who <laughs> will never want to edit um, music uh, and it's a rubbish music editor but does want to edit speech uh, and wants to make it sound as good as possible and so what I'm actually able to do with Hindenburg which I wouldn't be able to do with um, many other um, uh, editing tools is I produce two different versions of the podcast so one of the versions of the podcast is an AAC file which is the one that most people will actually hear um, and it's um, and it's set to minus 16 luffs which means it, it's as loud as everything else that you have on your phone and then there's another version which is just for Amazon and for Spotify who want a slightly louder version of the podcast and who've asked for it in mp3 form and so I give a, a version to them in mp3 format um, and what's lovely using a tool which is built for that is that it's literally one extra checkbox and and I've done it. Um, so it makes life really simple and really straightforward. You know, so again, it's, um, you know, it's, it's playing around with these tools, making sure that you get the most out of the tools that you actually play around with, you know, is an important thing. Okay, so um, you, 
my brain's going all over the place. You keep mentioning wonderful, yeah. great things. So we, we, we are going <laughs> through some structure, but um, you, you mentioned uh, Amazon there in, in, in the middle of all of that, um, you know, and when will Amazon get into podcasting? Do you think? Because they have audible, but audible's a, a, a locked invite only podcast service. Um, do you think in the, what I call the triple plays that are going on, um, let me explain that a little bit more. So my observation is that um, Amazon with Amazon Prime, Amazon Music um, and books, I suppose, to an extent, um, yeah. have a triple play. Um, you look at Netflix, um, they only have a single play, which is film, um, film and TV. Um, you look at Spotify that's diversified now into music and podcasting, um, but doesn't have books. Um, but the one thing missing for me as a, an Alexa user, somebody who uses Amazon Music, is there is no podcasting service. Do you think Amazon will get into podcasting or have you heard anything or is there anything in the grapevine that you think might come down the road for there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, arguably Amazon already is in terms of um, in terms of Audible and Amazon's sort of, you know, plan really is to give you uh, stuff that um, you want to pay a bit for with uh, Amazon Prime and then they will sell you more stuff um, that you don't get for free. So particularly with um, with uh, Audible, um, you know, you will get um you know, you, you, I think you, you have had the opportunity, certainly in the past, of um, being able to download maybe one audio book a month or one piece of audio a month as part of your prime, um, you know, money. And then you, uh, and then you obviously want to pay, uh, you know, additionally um, to get more in the same way that you can get a certain amount of videos free but you can buy more from uh, from Amazon or you get a certain amount of music for free, but you can buy more as well. So, I mean, arguably Amazon is kind of already there. Um, the, um, you know, on, 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 on the one side, they've got lots of technology behind them that could make it really easy for them if they wanted to launch a, you know, a podcast uh, hosting company, they could do that very, very quickly and simply. Um, but I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I've, I've always been slightly confused at, um, you know, at Amazon's um, strategy where they will spend lots of money getting, you know, James May and Jeremy Clarkson and, um, and the hamster to uh, go and do a tremendous car show for them without really any very clear understanding of where the money is going to come from from that. Um, and maybe that's just Amazon's plan. I don't know, but it's a strange—it's a strange one from you know from my point of view, certainly. Um, I, I think Amazon in the TV and film world, and just looking at trying to create unique content um, to drive traffic, I guess back to Amazon-related services and products, um, yeah. just to add value to Prime, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. And if that means that there are going to be certain podcasts which are exclusive to Amazon Prime, then, uh, you know, I guess that's the, that's the plan. They've certainly kept things to Audible so far. Um, but, you know, who knows what the future is going to be. I know that, you know, clearly um, Jeff, Jeff Bezos also owns the Wall Street Journal. Um, no, he, no, he doesn't, does he? He owns the other one, the Washington Post. Uh, and the Washington Post um, has been doing a bunch of uh, a bunch of interesting things around podcasting as well. So I'm sure that he is monitoring that and working out whether or not there's learnings 
that uh, Amazon can also take you know out of that but there is a lot of money currently being spent by the likes of yes Amazon but also by the likes of you know Spotify Gimlet um, and, uh, and many other people in uh, in uh, audio generation um, that maybe there isn't the market in terms of revenue for quite yet um, and so maybe the plan that Spotify has is that when you think of podcasts, you automatically think of Spotify. Um, and maybe that's their, their long-term goal in terms of how, the, how this is going to work. Um, but, you know, it's certainly interesting to see what happens. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, Amazon, uh, you know, Amazon have their plans there as well. Okay, well, look, you started talking a little bit about um, monetization earlier and just now as well. Um, how should podcasters go about thinking about monetizing their podcasts and the traffic and the time that they invest into this? Or is it only going to be the, the top end, you know, the, the 10,000 plus audience and everyone else is the long tail and, and really don't expect to monetize this at all? You talked about, you know, injecting through things like Acast earlier, um, but obviously ACAST won't allow you to be a podcast in their service unless you've hit a bar in terms of number of users. So where do podcasters start to make money? How can we make money? Or is it, is it a loss leader and it's just really a brand brand development thing? Cause you talked about going on the road. So is there any other way that podcasters can make money from doing what they do? Yeah. I mean, I think that there are, um, if you are large enough, then of course there are many ways. Um, and you know, the New York Times's podcast is earning them, you know, a, a good, sizable sum of, of of money, and that's and that's a great thing. But I think um, what's interesting around uh, platforms like uh, Anchor, for example, and possibly why Spotify were interested enough to buy um, uh, Anchor uh, earlier on in in this year. Um, was that what Anchor had worked out was a way of um, getting the scale involved in podcast advertising. So um, uh, it's very easy for you to go to an advertiser and say, I've got one big podcast, maybe I'm Joe Rogan, I've got one big podcast, it gets however many million downloads per episode, give me some money. It's much harder for somebody to go and say, um, you know, for uh, 200 people to go and say, we've all got tiny podcasts, but together we'd be quite large um, because the advertising agency is going to look at you and go, but I've got to do 200 times the amount of work in order to buy the same ad, ad buy that I could just buy with uh, Joe Rogan. So why would I do that? So I think that's why Anchor has been interesting because all of a sudden you can actually get that scale uh, involved. And I think, you know, certainly um, looking at, you know, Acast again, potentially gives that scale in terms of um, uh, representing a bunch of different, of different podcasts. So you've got that as a, as a start. One of the things I am surprised that Apple hasn't done is that Apple haven't gone down the line of paid for podcasts yet. Uh, because it strikes me that that is a really obvious thing for Apple to do to um, enable you with the, uh, with the credit card that you already have with Apple, using yep. the app that you're probably already using, um, to be able to say, I like this podcast enough to pay a uh, dollar a month for it. 
Apple goes away and takes their 30% and they're very happy with that. The podcaster gets 70% and they're very happy with that. And, everybody, and everybody's happy. You know, so I think, I think from that point of view, I, I'm really surprised that Apple haven't um, taken the benefit that they have in this marketplace of having so many people's, um, you know, so many people's um, email addresses and credit card data you know, and, and they haven't actually taken that and, and gone, well, you know, we can probably earn some money out of this as well. They probably don't think it's a big enough market. Well, that might be. I mean, you know, you, you should bear in mind that, you know, podcasting, I think last year podcasting made something in the region of $600,000 from advertising revenue in the US. Now that's, you know, that, that's a nice uh, 600, uh, 600,000. Yeah. 600 million or was it? No, 600. 600 million i think it was that's okay, right that's that's a more, more sizable 600 million would, would kind of would kind of make yeah. sense wouldn't it so um i think you can look at the uh, you can look at last year and go well um podcasting made 600 million dollars of ad revenue in the us 600 million sounds like a lot you then have a look at apple and you realize that apple is earning that money every nine hours and you go, oh, maybe it's not, not, not quite so large. So maybe they've got that to have a look at. But it's very clear that Apple are moving from a position of being a hardware manufacturer to being a services provider. Um, that's very clearly where they're going because they've suddenly realized that people aren't going to continue upgrading to the latest and greatest iPhone. Yeah, not a thousand greatest pounds. Because, yeah, because... Because frankly, you know, an iPhone 6 still does pretty well everything that you want it to. So what's the point of that then? So, uh, you know, so you're seeing Apple launching their TV service, their gaming service, their music service. Why aren't Apple launching a paid for podcast service as well? It seems a really obvious one where they've got all of the infrastructure, both in terms of taking my money and your money, but also in terms of paying it out because they're already dealing with, uh, tens of tens of thousands of developers already in lots of different countries. So they've got all of that legal stuff sorted out, which is not, um, you know, a small piece of work. So why aren't they taking this and actually moving ahead? Um, which would mean that they would earn a bunch of money. Secondly, it would mean that they would launch an Apple Podcasts app for Android, which would all of a sudden wipe everybody out because why on earth would anybody want a different podcast app other than Apple podcasts? Well, um, it, it could come down to bit not being seen as monopolistic. Um, Amazon does that very well by not taking the whole of a market by always retaining a competitor within a market space. So that yeah. they're never, yeah. you know, may seen well as, um, may well be. And maybe, maybe the plan there is that they want uh, Spotify to continue to grow and maybe once Spotify are about 20% or 25%, um, then Apple might, uh, you know, put their, put their plan into action. You're right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've all, I, I've often said that the best thing for podcasting would be if we had three different companies and each of them had about a third of the, you know, of the, of the audience, um, that would actually keep the entire infrastructure, um, going and innovating and moving forward. But at the moment we have a relatively lazy Apple who've done very little to actually help the industry move a mover forward. Now, all of a sudden we have, uh, we have uh, Spotify in on the scene. It'll be interesting seeing what happens there.
yeah absolutely and then i hope i hope you're right i um because i think um I, I tried to use patreon or patreon um a yes. little while back and you know that doesn't drive any revenue at all um i i get my revenue i think more through sponsorship um i, I know you've got a very well sponsored newsletter and i assume that extends into your podcast as well yeah i mean i think it's um i i think it's uh it differs uh, as to how you use it. I mean, I, I, I get a, um, uh, the most amount of money uh, for Pod News is through Patreon, as as it happens. Oh, okay, really. But okay. I think, but but I think that there is a, you know, it depends really how you use those particular tools, and also depends how much you you talk them up. And um, there is certainly a snowball effect. Um, of you know one person you one person doing something you make a big deal of the fact that that person has done something and then all all of a sudden somebody else does it and you make a big deal of them then all of a sudden you you get you know two more people and so on and so forth so i think i i think that it depends how you end up using them but from my point of view um you know i've worked for a number of companies who've had one big customer and I know that that is a massive problem if something happens to that one big customer. Um, and one of the companies I worked for went bust because their big customer went bust. And so I'm quite keen to make sure that um, you have, you know, as many different ways of earning revenue, of earning cash that you possibly can do, um, because that then uh, makes the risk rather less than just relying on one one big advertiser or two big, you know, advertisers every single uh, every single month. Absolutely. Um, last couple of questions on the podcast, and then I want to touch on to the future of radio. Um, are you seeing a trend in corporates as well? Because we've talked a little bit. I guess this is much more of a consumer play at the moment. Uh, are you seeing a trend? of corporates wanting to get their voice through podcasting out there? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a trend of uh, um, brand, uh, both branded content and also, you know, podcast um, uh, companies wanting to do their own uh, podcast. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's going to listen to a 30-minute um, advert. So, um, so what you need to end up doing is to make some really good and interesting uh um, you know, good, good and interesting content. And that may not be your sales director talking about <laughs> your product. <laughs> you know, yes. um, all, although it might be as well. I mean, I think one of the most successful podcasts in the U S from a company is, uh, there's one, uh, from, uh, Trader Joe's and one from American airlines. And both of those are actually deliberately built to be podcasts for other employees of that company. Yeah. Um, that happen to be interesting enough for other people to also have a listen to them. Uh, so that's certainly one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is, you know, if you're Mozilla or somebody, then actually doing something, doing a podcast, which is a really interesting podcast that happens to be sponsored by Mozilla and occasionally mentions a Mozilla product is rather better than, you know, um, doing a little bit more dull um, you know, corporate stuff. So, uh, yeah. So there's, you know, real opportunity there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a favorite of mine in, in this space is, um, called the A16Z, uh, podcast. It's the, uh, Andreessen yes. Horowitz one, which it, basically they have a partner on, they talk about a, co uh, a subject. And then of course they drop in 
oh, we've invested into that company. Or, or, so they drop through the whole podcast while they're talking about a topic subject about their investments or their interests. So it's, it is a subliminal advertising podcast, but it's done very well. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think there's a bunch of those sorts of things. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, as long as it's not just, you know, a few people from the company in a room having a nice talk for an hour um, and, and people actually think about it a little bit more, I think that that's always a good plan. Okay. Last question on podcasting then. What are your favourite three podcasts? What are my favourite three podcasts? Um uh, I always I always find it difficult to answer this because obviously um, uh, uh, I, I listen to many other podcasts, but my favourite three at the moment, um, uh, ABC in Australia has a podcast called Unravel, which is a true crime podcast. Um, it it uh, was a new season of that called Snowball about two weeks or so ago, and it's an amazing story. Um, and you should have a listen to it. Okay. Um, it's an amazing story of a con woman from California that uh, ends up conning uh, somebody that ends up, um, and, and this isn't much of a spoiler, that ends up being the brother of the narrator of the podcast. So already it gets very exciting. Um, and there's a, bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of really interesting things that you end up learning. So that's a fantastic one. Um, I'm a fan of The Bugle, which is a, um, a podcast um, from the UK. It's a satirical look at the news with um, Andy Zaltzman and a bunch of different comedians. Oh, he's brilliant. Um, yeah, no, no, and I that's like really good. Really good. Well worth having a listen to. Okay. Um, so I'm a fan of that. And I need one more, don't I? I need to think about my other one wonder what which other one i'm going to choose he says <laughs> opening up his podcast app ah yes um yeah so the other one that i uh, listen to a fair amount is um is uh, a podcast called the signal which is also from the abc um here here in australia and it's much like i guess the new york times is daily um, in that it's a short 20 minute or so podcast which covers um, a story from the day's news but it's done in a nice way it's done in a much less stuffy way I guess than the New York Times Daily is or you know the BBC equivalents um, and it's a really good listen and there's uh, lots of stuff there even if you have no interest in Australia at all so um, yeah great i thought you were going to mention yours in there but that that's fine no i i thought about mentioning mine i i have been asked that question on stage in the past um and and uh occasionally i will mention mine if only because um firstly it's free free marketing but also secondly because the point that i'm trying to get over is that actually um is that um something which is short is really important and we need to always remember our audience's time and be you know nice about our you know um, nice about our time uh, you know with them um, there's a great quote from Roman Mars where he says if you have 10,000 listeners and you edit one minute out of your podcast then you have just saved 10,000 minutes in the world and you're practically a superhero <laughs> um, and I think he's absolutely right. Um, so uh, whenever people ask me how long a podcast should be, you know, my stock answer is as long as it needs to be, but not a second longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the old uh, Winston Churchill line is how long should a presentation be? Uh, the length of a skirt 
just long enough to be above the knee and, and short enough to remain interesting. Yes, um, yes. Which is... Uh, uh, yes, typically I Winston Churchill. Absolutely right. I'm sure. I'm sure that's not a Winston Churchill quote, but nevertheless, I like it anyway. <laughs> I believe it is, but if it's not, I apologise now in advance. Um, okay. Um, last last question on podcasting. Where do you consume your podcast? Because um, I I find I can't sit at my desk, be emailing, or doing any other concentrated work and consuming. How do you consume yours, or, or can you do that? Um, yeah, I don't consume. By the way, you are absolutely right. Uh, it was a Winston Churchill quote. Thank a good you. speech should be like a woman's skirt, long enough to cover the subject and short enough to create interest, uh, which is very close good. Enough, anyway, yes, yes, close enough. Um, so yeah, I listen to um, I listen to podcasts. I can't listen to podcasts when I work um, because because I, I end up listening either listening to the podcast and, and I can't work or more to the point, I just end up um, uh, washing over what what I'm listening to, and I don't actually pay any attention at all. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's what happens when you've worked for 30 years in a radio station, and you're so used to having a radio on in the background, you kind of train yourself to ignore what's coming out of the speakers. Um, so I listen to the majority of the podcasts that I listen to um, when I'm out walking the dog, um, which is a very good time to have a listen, um, or also in an aeroplane. Um, and I do, uh, it turns out that Australia is a long way away from everywhere. Uh, and so therefore I do end up listening to a bunch of podcasts that way as well. And I'm relatively militant in terms of the speed and, um, and gap settings. Um, I will listen to quite a lot of podcasts at 1.2 or 1.3 speed. Um, and I will, uh, often, but not always, um, uh, um, edit the gaps out as well. Um, so I use pocket casts which allows me to set that on a per podcast basis which is really helpful actually because there are some podcasts where it really works and there are some podcasts where if you do that it ruins them um so uh you know so for certain podcasts uh for abc's unravel for example um i listened to that at proper speed without any of that you know editing because the the timing and the beats are all are all important as well but for other podcasts i will speed up quite a lot particularly if you're a podcast about podcasting my goodness i will listen to you fast <laughs> yes this is so meta um okay well let's get off that meta subject um you, you briefly mentioned your your background um you you you've come from a 30-year career in radio how did you get into it and and who did you work for and and what what changes have you seen in radio in your time Wow, what changes. Well, um, so I got into it because um, it turned out that if you ate enough Frosties, um, uh, if you ate enough Frosties breakfast cereal, then you could um, save up the vouchers on the back and send off for a Tony the Tiger radio. So I did. <laughs> um, and that got me at the age of six really into, uh, into, into radio. Interestingly, into speech radio, not, not into music radio. Okay. Um, so, um, so that really got me interested and excited about what radio could actually offer. Um, and, and I always reckoned that I wanted to work in, uh, radio. So I did some rather weird A-levels at school, music, physics, and politics, um, which you can see would work fantastically for radio and works absolutely uselessly for any other subject, <laughs> but still there we are. Um, 
and um, yeah, and so ended up working as a radio presenter up in uh, Yorkshire in the UK for um, for a good few years. I wrote radio commercials as well. Um, moved to London, worked at the original Virgin Radio um, out of Golden Square, nice. um, yeah. and ended up um, working uh, working on their website um, and uh, working out what you can actually do in terms of. Uh, you know, in terms of um, of new new uh, technology. So, uh, and that radio station before I joined was the first to stream online in Europe. Um, and after I w- worked, uh, you know, while I was working there, we were the most listened to online radio station in the world. Um, and uh, and ended up streaming on all kinds of things, um, including doing the first daily podcast for a radio station back in uh, January of two thousand and five, which was before iTunes actually had included podcasting. So it's quite some, quite some thing. Um, and also launched the first uh, streaming mobile app in the world. Um, so you could uh, have a listen to Virgin Radio in eight, eight kilobits of, of, uh, of mono quality. Um, but nevertheless, it sounded quite nice. Um, surprisingly nice for 8K. Um, and you could listen on three different Symbian mobile phones. Um, but, uh, you know, learned an awful lot there, which was uh, great fun. And also worked at the BBC as well, uh, prior to working for, for myself for the last, um, well, 11 years now. So, um, yeah, which has been good. So radio um, is going through a massive change at the moment. Um couple of changes that I'll, I'll throw up and then I'd love, you, love to get your commentary on. First one is the aggregation of radio stations in the UK. I can't talk outside of the UK. I'm not um, uh, well enough first on it. But for example, um, Bauer, uh, which is a, a massive radio group, and um, Global, which is the other big group, are, are buying up radio stations and currently um, dismissing presenters and then using the bandwidth that they have or the 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 air air, air width that they have um, to send a central based let's say breakfast show to all these local radio stations that used to have their own breakfast show um, to act as a national radio station in effect Um, is this the trend that we will see going forward that we're just getting because of advertising, because of um, being able to go to sponsors or advertise and say, look, we've got 100,000 or 2 million or whatever the number may be, uh, and we can broadcast nationally. Is that the the way commercial radio is going to go? Well, I mean, I don't think it's being driven by advertising because you you could always have gone to advertisers and say, um, you know, the um, uh, our, our radio stations cover X amount of, of, um, of million people. Um, so it's not really a case of that. It's it's actually a case of um, getting the best people on the air f- for the job. So, um, you know, we've moved from um, a position where we've had local radio stations that have had local news, local travel, local um, commercials, and a local breakfast show to radio stations that have local news, local travel, local adverts, and a breakfast show that happens to come from London. Um, So people are still getting local information. They're still getting all of the stuff that they actually want radio for. Um, But instead of of having... um, a presenter that wasn't good enough to be national 
um, they've got presenters that are good enough to be national now that they can market more cohesively across the UK. And in your particular case, although it's um, it's uh, happening in uh, in Australia, in the US as well, um, so that you can actually have a more cohesive advertising uh, strategy. You can talk about you know Jamie and. Amanda at breakfast on heart um, and know that everybody will get Jamie and, and Amanda at breakfast and that you won't have to talk about Dixie in Yorkshire and, and somebody else in Wales and somebody else in uh, Bristol. Um, you know, so from that, from that point of view, I, I, I think that the death of local radio is very, um, you know, is very over, uh, overworked. Um, I think that, you know, if you really want local radio, then you can still find local radio anyway. But actually, these radio stations still have local news, local information anyway. Um, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, radio, which I think is forgotten, is still really large. Um, so um, uh, the amount of people tuning into radio hasn't changed in the last 20 years hasn't actually changed still nine out of ten people are consuming radio and whether that's in the uk or in you know france or austria or the us uh, or even here in in australia you know nine out of ten people still consume radio every single week and the amount of listening um it has gone down in the last 20 years but it's not gone down by much it's gone down by less than 15 percent which is not a big deal when you consider that 20 years ago, we didn't have an iPhone, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have Spotify, um, we didn't have, you know, broadband internet, um, you know, so we've had all of these massive changes. And frankly, there's been very little change in the amount of radio listening. And so I think that does go to show that um, radio still has a part to play in the current landscape, and will probably still have a part to play for a good long time yet, even if more and more people are becoming um, comfortable with on-demand, uh, on-demand audio or you know radio in a slightly different form. Um, I, I still think that live radio has a good um, you know has a good part to play. Yeah, I, I I think there's about three questions I've got to unpack from that. Um, yes, I thought, um, I thought there might be some. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first one is, uh, is, is it the celebrity of uh, cult of celebrity that we're beginning to see? Because, you know, Chris Evans was brought into Virgin and instantly they, they brought, he brought with him two million plus listeners. And you mentioned Hart, you know, with, with Amanda, who, to your question, is she the best presenter or is she just a well-known name? Um, and, and so is the celebrity, the cult of celebrity driving it more than actually better presenters that's a question i guess yeah i mean i think i, I think it's a fair question to ask i would probably argue that uh, most breakfast shows you know if you take chris evans aside who is actually a radio presenter first and foremost anyway but most breakfast shows are um typically done by um, someone who is a really good radio practitioner who understands how radio works and then someone else that adds a bit more showbiz, a bit more life to that particular show. Um, 
And certainly that's the way that it works here in Australia, where you typically have three people at breakfast. You have um, somebody that is the radio person who is driving the desk, who understands how the media works. You've probably got a comedian and you've probably got, um, you know, a woman who is who is uh, very well known for um, for being bubbly and bright and, you know, and, and good to to listen to in the morning and because you've got that mix of characters that makes for a more interesting sound than you know the olden days of uh, you know when I was growing up you know Noel, Noel Edmonds on Radio 1 who um, you know if you listen back now you know the years have not been kind to him you know it's a very <laughs> yeah. dull stage show that he once did that we all thought was great so yes. you know so i think i think that there's you know a little bit of that there's a little bit of sort of uh, uh star star quality um but you know jamie theakston to to give the heart example jamie jamie theakston is a radio presenter who has been doing radio for a long long time you know completely understands what he's doing as does Moyles on Radio X, um, as you know, as is Zoe Ball on Radio Two, you know, so on and so forth. But you know, having additional people there is important as well, um, you know, to keep everything real and relevant. And it's it's one of the things that I talk about a lot when I'm when I've got my radio hat on, um, is that some people say that the future of radio is live and local. I don't think that anybody cares whether radio is live anymore. Um, and I think that the audience figures prove that people don't care whether anything's local. Uh, I think actually what people care about is that there are real human beings at the other end um, that are relevant to their lives and relevant to what they're, they're actually doing. Um, and that, you know, at the end of the day, radio is a shared experience with a human connection. That's what radio does. And by the way, podcasting does really well. Um, and it's something that Spotify can't do. It's something that your own, you know, CDs or MP3s can't do. Um, and I think if we remember that in the radio world and we bear in mind why people are tuning into the radio, then, you know, the, the, then there's every reason to, to suggest that radio will still be, you know, a, a, mass, a mass market medium in uh, 20 years from now. Mm, I agree. I tend to agree totally with that. Um, okay, the ways of consuming radio are changing. Um, you touched on it briefly with with Virgin starting to stream. Um, we touched yes. earlier on um, Alexas or, or smart assistants um, and being able to consume content, tune in radio, radio player, which I know you did some work with. Um, all these different ways to consume content. Um, one of the things that I think is quite interesting is Raja, which is the um, radio uh, auditing of listeners, can't keep up with all these different mechanisms. So I tend to look at people when they go, their, their audience numbers have gone up. I go, and how are you measuring that again? Sorry, I'm lost. How are you, how are you knowing that I'm listening through an Alexa or through uh, my yeah, uh, laptop? And, and Rajar and measures, uh, measures that as well. I think, I think the interesting thing about Rajar actually is that um, because it is so, in inverted commas, old-fashioned in the way that it measures, um, it does capture all radio listening on every device. Um, uh, however, that person is actually listening. Now, yes, it, it's done by asking 100,000 people uh, every single year um, what they listened to um, and to keep a diary. And most people, by the way, fill that in online, so it's not really an old-fashioned paper uh, uh, diary anymore. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, uh, RAJAR is one way of doing it, um, using a survey of, of 100,000 people. TV, by the way, has 8,000 households. Mm. Uh, radio looks at 100,000 people. I don't, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm no statistician, but I, I would guess that one of those is going to be more, more successful in working out uh, audience figures than the other one. Right, um, yeah, exactly. So you've so you've kind of you've kind of got that side, and yes, you can go and and have a look at um, the way that the US do it, which is um, they give you a little sort of pager which you attach to your belt, and you look like a nerd, and you walk around, and the little pager is listening to what you're listening to, and reports that back. So you can use a PPM, and those have issues as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't normally wear a pager in the shower. Um, no. <laughs> you know, so you've got those sorts of issues there, and that's the way that you know um, Norway work out their figures, or um, uh, in Canada there's a mix of diaries and of the portable people meter and various other things. Um, the Swiss, of course, being Swiss, have to use watches. Um, so they use a watch to work out what they're listening to, you know, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, actually, you know, Rajar is doing a pretty good job of measuring, um, of measuring uh, radio listening. Um, it, it's not perfect because no ways of measuring radio will ever be uh, perfect. It's one of the difficulties of having something which we listen to in the car as well as at home, uh, which we listen to on, on an average of, you know, over four different devices. Um, but you know, but on the on the other hand, the figures that you get from Rajar weirdly are um, uh, in many ways more useful than the figures you get from podcasting, where you know podcasting you know what somebody has downloaded, you know where that person is, and that's literally all you, all that you know. Mm. You know what the what that person has downloaded. You don't actually know whether they've played it. You don't know uh, anything about that person other than where they are from an IP address. Um, so you don't know whether or not your podcast is being listened to by boys or girls, by uh, people aged 40 or people aged 14. You know, you, you don't have any of that information. You can get a bit of that information from uh, Spotify, by the way. Um, but that's about as much information that you actually have. Whereas weirdly, you get far more information from um, from a survey such as uh, Rajar in there as well. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, nothing's perfect, I guess. And if you can work out a better way to measure radio than the diary, um, you know, an online diary, uh, then uh, we would all love to hear from you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't do, got a... Please do tell <clears throat> me. <laughs> I, I wonder whether there's some sort of sonic sound that we can send back. But anyway, no, no nothing that springs to mind, <laughs> I promise you. Um, we'll all be rich. <laughs> yes. Um, the IAB is trying, just because I forgot to mention it, the IAB too uh, announced that they've come trying to put standardization around podcasting numbers and audience um yeah uh, and that's seen a lot of podcasters um throw their hands up in the air because their their previously recorded user numbers have dropped dramatically um so yeah I yeah so the i yeah so the iab is actually um they've come up with a set of guidelines um which um mean that anybody that is working out their figures using the iab version 2 guidelines will be vaguely similar to other people who, have, who are using IAB version 2 guidelines. Not the same, but vaguely similar. 
But what that essentially means is that you've had some companies which have been very, uh, which have been overestimating the amount of downloads or the amount of plays that you have. Um, and so all of a sudden those figures have gone down. It doesn't actually mean that you have less, less listeners. It just means that your figures have been worked out in a slightly different way. Um, so, you know, so you've got that. You also have the fact that, you know, the IAB version two um, guidelines, you can either be IAB compliant, which is you saying, yes, absolutely honest, I'm working these out correctly. Or you can be IAB certified. And that means that somebody from the IAB has come in, you've paid them $45,000, by the way. Okay. They, have, they have come in and they have checked all of your code and they are satisfied that you're working out the, the, the figures um, to their guidelines. Um, so if you're looking at a podcast host, which is just IB compliant, then you only have their word for it. Um, if you're talking to, an IB, uh, to a podcast host, which is IB certified, then at least you know that somebody from the IB has looked at their figures. But even then, you're not going to get the same figures from Blueberry that you are from Libsyn, for sake of argument, two yeah. companies which are IB certified, because the IB guidelines actually don't necessarily result in the same numbers. So hugely uh, complicated uh, area. But, um, you know, I mean, basically, at the end of the day, um, make sure that at the very least you're running on IB compliant uh, figures. People like SoundCloud aren't. And people like SoundCloud have um, their figures are wildly inaccurate. Um, and make sure that, you know, if you can be with a podcast host, which is, um, which is certified as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I know from, from my own personal use, Libsing um, have gone that way. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. Let's touch a couple of, uh, on the futures. Um, we talked about different ways of consuming radio. Um, uh, one of the things that started to happen is, I'm not quite sure why, but radio stations have decided that they want to have their own Alexa skills, maybe for more control. Um, I'd love to know what your thoughts on that. But in, in the other area that's been really <clears throat> interesting for me to observe is the BBC. Um, and they're, they're pulling out of um, TuneIn and Radio Player and they're putting all their content through BBC Sounds and they're saying it's, it's our walled garden. We're only going to come through this mechanism. Um, any thoughts why they're doing that and, and where, where the future of radio uh, consumption will be? Yeah. So, I mean, the BBC has a, um, the BBC has a different, a difficult tightrope to walk um, in that they need to make sure that they are available in as many different places as they possibly can be. But they also need to make sure that they actually have enough data and enough information to actually, um, you know, to actually be able to go back to the people who pay for it, like you and me, or rather you these days, um, to actually <laughs> show that they are, you know, good value for money, uh, show who is consuming stuff, um, you know, and all of that. And so they haven't pulled out of Radio Player, but they are pulling out of uh, TuneIn in some markets. They've pulled their podcasts away from Google Podcasts um, for control reasons as well. Um, because they want to make sure at the end of the day that um, all of their content is being 
delivered in a way that they are comfortable with. And I, and I, having worked at the BBC for a couple of years, I understand what it is that they are trying to do. It doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with it, but I do understand that, you know, they, they do need to be really careful about how other people are using the BBC brand and BBC content. Um, and I can well see that, you know, if you're there and you go, okay, Google, of course you can come in and you can include um, all of my uh, all of my podcasts in your um, in your uh, podcast app. That's fine, but maybe uh, not so fine is to also have um, Google do a transcript that won't be actually 100% correct for the reasons that we've talked about earlier. Um, I don't necessarily want that transcript to appear on the internet, thanks, because it's not actually our transcript and it's not being checked. And I don't really want you promoting Google Podcasts over and above anything else which is out there and certainly our own app. Um, so, you know, can we have a bit of control over that, please? And with Google, it's all or nothing. Um, or at least it has been up until this particular point. And so I can kind of see the BBC's point of view of, of basically going, we'd like a little bit more control, please. Thank you very much. And if you're not going to give us any control at all, then we're just going to, you know, take our ball and we're going to go home. Um, and, and you can play with something else. And um, so I'm kind of, um, I do understand where they're coming from. Um, I also think particularly at this point of time, um, with all of the news that's coming from the UK, I think it's important that the BBC does actually deliver according to its charter and actually makes sure that um, that everybody across the world can actually hear the output of uh, of, of the um, of the UK's broadcaster at this precise moment in time because I think that's an important thing. So um, okay. I'm kind of you know cleft in two on that one. Oh, okay. Um, last final two questions then. Um, Dab Plus is coming along the track, hopefully, once we've got this thing called Brexit out of the way, they might actually set, set, settle down and, and look at other legislation. Um, Dab Plus, what does it mean to the radio industry? Or, or is it just a, a, another increase in the quality of content? And, uh, and it's no more than that. It's just a, a better frequency. So, um, the way that DAB works at the moment in the UK is um, is that you use a uh, an encoding technology um, called MP2, um, which is um, uh, one way of encoding audio. Uh, what DAB Plus is is it's a better encoding technology. It uses AAC, um, and that enables you to um, make your radio station sound better. And it also makes uh, and it also allows you to um, put more radio stations into the same uh, bandwidth that you current that you have access to. Um, so um, the UK is very unique in it's the only country which is still using old fashioned MP2. Um, everybody else that uses DAB has moved on to DAB plus and has done that a while ago uh, here in Australia there are no mp2 uh, channels at all everything oh, is wow. DAB plus okay. yep. um, so the so the UK is quite behind in this and the reason why it's behind is that obviously there was a, a real push to get 50% of radio listening um, uh, to be delivered over DAB and anything that would get in the way of that um, uh, was going to be an issue um, now that has already been hit um, 
And so theoretically, um, I don't think that there's any legislation that needs uh, changing. I think that any radio station could, if they wanted to, switch on onto DAB Plus tomorrow. There are a bunch of radios out there that don't uh, take it, but most of the radios do these days. Um, and we've certainly seen uh, Global has changed a bunch of its stations into, into DAB Plus in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, so they're certainly using that. Um, and as far as I'm concerned you know the faster that the uk can move the better because you know the fact that the uk is the only country which is still using old-fashioned dab if you like um is a bit embarrassing and it would mean that we could have stereo radio again which uh, in, in many cases in many yes. cases when you're listening on on dab you know you don't get uh, you don't get a decent uh, stereo sound anymore yeah. um, so that that would be nice will, will am and fm ever be turned off um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think AM certainly will be and, it, and and the time is, you know, the time is right to turn, I mean, arguably, the time is right to turn AM off now. Um, Global have started doing that for regulatory reasons, as to be said, rather than for cost saving regions, uh, reasons. And I'm, um, <coughs> and I'm sure that if um, Bauer was able to actually get, Motion detected uh, at the front know, door. get some actual um, and I'm sure that if Bauer was uh, able to, they would actually turn off, um, you know, some of Absolute Radio's AM uh, services now. The fact is that actually Bauer have to go to Ofcom, the media regulator, and say that they want to turn off specific transmitters. Um, so it isn't quite as easy as Bauer just g g going around and turning them off. And who knows, maybe Ofcom would give those to somebody else and that would be a, a bit of a known goal. Right, um, yeah. But I certainly see, you know, AM coming off relatively soon. Uh, it doesn't exist in most European countries already anyway. So you may as well start turning it off in the UK. Uh, FM is a bit more of a longer term thing. Uh, Switzerland have just announced that they are turning uh, FM off in a couple of years time. Norway have already turned it off. Um, and uh, other countries are working towards turning it off in the future. Um, the UK, I'm sure, will do. And if you were to consider that if you were to turn off FM tomorrow, then everybody aged over 70 would be able to get their TV license paid for by the BBC with all of the money that they saved, then that's um, a consideration, I think, you know, in terms of this. Um, but right now, there's nothing wrong with FM. Um, if you like the the small amount of stations which are on there, but um, uh, you know more and more people are switching over onto DAB for themselves, so that's probably going to happen anyway. I think. Yeah, I mean, taking a global perspective, I mean, you say we're behind the curve quite a bit. Who's who's ahead of the curve globally then? Just interestingly wise. I mean, it depends what you consider to be ahead of the curve. But uh, I mean, Norway have switched off um, uh, all of their national FM uh, uh, signals and many of their FM signals in the big cities as well. Um, so arguably, you could say that they were that they were ahead of the curve. Um, you know, here in Australia, um, we were the first country to go on to DAB Plus and to use DAB Plus exclusively. 
um, which has meant a variety of new additional uh, stations which are available here as well. Um, you know, arguably we're behind the curve now in terms of the amount of uh, broadcasting that we're actually doing, but uh, you know, who knows? So, you know, there's a bunch of sort of different, uh, different um, you know, uh, uh, options there. And then in the US and Canada, they've got other things. So they've got satellite radio and they've got uh, something called HD radio, which is a way of getting additional signals from your FM uh, services. Um, so lots of differences going on. But I think, you know, you mentioned um, smart speakers earlier. Um, that's where the big growth is um, at, at a home, certainly, is watching people get rid of their radios at home and replace them with uh, smart uh, speakers and asking for stations on that, you know, instead. Um, and certainly, you know, I'm seeing an awful lot of that growing very, very fast as well. Yeah, although my smart speaker wasn't very smart then when somebody came to my door. But other than that, yes, um, I do agree. I think the smart speaker is the way forward because um, I think um, my spot, I've got um, I've got six Alexas at home, but but the one sat right next to my desk has a screen on it as well. So when I'm yeah. listening to radio, there's some secondary information that's available as well. Yeah, and I would say, by the way, that the US and the UK are very unusual in that Alexa is number one. Everywhere else, Google is number one. Um, and you were, ah. talking, uh, you were talking a little bit ago about um, the need for some radio stations to have their own skills. Yes. That's peculiarly Alexa world. So um, here, if I ask to listen to um, 4KQ, which is a local uh, station here in uh, Brisbane, um, then it automatically knows, um, uh, my Google speaker automatically knows to get it from iHeartRadio. But if I ask for the BBC, it automatically comes from the BBC. No skills required, nothing like that. And frankly, nobody installs skills anyway. No. Um, so people are just used to asking for the name of radio stations. So I find it interesting that you've got two countries in the world where Alexa is in front. I have one um, uh, Alexa here, and I'm surprised that I've said <laughs> the A word so many times, and she hasn't woken up yet. Whereas uh, my Google thing has woken up, oh, I think, three times in this conversation so far. Right. Um, so, um, you, you know, so I've got one Alexa thing here, um, and, and maybe it's because I don't use it very much, but I just find it awful as a product. Um, it's interesting. That's because that's... that I've got, it just, just works. And I don't have to think. I just ask the right the right things, and it just just works. And I find it fascinating that it was just purely that uh, uh, Amazon Alexa was first to market in the US and in the UK, and for some reason it's been the big thing. But every, everywhere else, Google rules the roost. And actually, were you to look at um, uh, numbers of users, then Google is number one. Um, you know, already there because uh, those you know. numbers, I have to say, James, are slightly skewed. Okay, so I've looked at those numbers quite closely because obviously, as I said, um, I look at uh, multiple areas. And one of the things that yeah. Google has done very well is they use the Google Assistant on the Android phone in those numbers. So when Indeed. they say Google Assistant is number one in, let's say, Holland, for example, it's not number one in hardware devices i.e. Google Home, it's number yes. one because most phones in Holland happen to be an Android phone. Well, it's, it's, number one, it's number one as a, 
as a voice activated um, assistant. Yes, uh, but it's slightly uh, naughty when 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 Amazon hasn't got a phone it, of its own. It is. You're, but, you're but, measuring but what Amazon and are doing, and and uh, yeah, and I think that that's fair. But I also think it's fair to say that actually Google isn't in the game of selling hardware. Google's in the game of producing a device that actually, you know. Um, uh, uh, it might be inbuilt in your Chromebook. It might be inbuilt in your mobile phone as well. Yeah. But, that, but, you know, people are still using that. And I think, you know, yes, if you only look at um, sales of, of uh, speakers, then you get a slightly different, you know, a slightly different, um, uh, you know, point. Um, and, and by the way, you know, obviously Google Assistant and indeed Amazon Alexa are in devices that aren't sold by Google or by Amazon yet we insist on just measuring the sales of Amazon devices because that's easier than actually working out, you know, how many people have bought the Sonos soundbar or whatever yeah. it happens to be. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's, uh, I mean, again, it comes back to how you put those uh, stats together. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think it's always, always interesting to actually see that. Yeah, no, I agree. My, my only trouble with Google is, and why I went down the Amazon road, is um, I've been burnt so many times by Google getting into technology, and then they abandon the market. There is a plethora, over 100 plus products that Amazon, oh, sorry, I agree. Google have launched. Yes. And I, I just have the sneaky feeling that, that, that they'll get bored of Google Home and get bored of Google... Uh, Google Assistant's here to stay because it's a replacement for search, but they'll get bored of Google Home and... and I'll end up with a brick that doesn't have any value, but um, yeah. we'll see. Um, final question. I think, I think Sorry, you've ended up with a brick that doesn't have any value with your uh, with your um, uh, Amazon Echo as well. In a couple of years. <laughs> so I think no, no, horses for courses there. I, I get my no, but you won't be able to sell that on eBay in three years' time. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Um, final question, which is. Um, I spoke to PRS recently, which is the licensing for those who don't oh, know yes. from, for music, um, about podcasts. And it was just something that was going through my mind. I made a mental note. Um, they don't have a ruling on whether you can include music in a podcast or not. If you go to their website, they've now put a holding page which says under review. Um, and when I went to the um, community radio Facebook group, and said, look, what, what's everyone else doing out there? Everyone else is basically loading up podcasts with music, pushing them out and going, well, we'll get told off by somebody at some point, but until they do, um, we're going to keep going. Do you have any uh, thoughts on how PRS, the poor people themselves, can deal with a digital global world? Or, is, or are they king canoe and just fighting against the tide and have no idea? Well, I mean, I think you've got two things there. Um, PRS is one half of the equation, and PRS has actually been doing a better job and a nicer job for the internet as a whole than the other set of people who you need to go and talk to, which is PPL in the UK. Um, so um, uh, as a quick primer, PRS look after performers and performances, and PPL look after the record companies, so the recordings. Um, and so, you know, PRS um, for a while certainly had a bunch of, um, of online licenses that you could use if you wanted to do things like podcasting and websites and everything else. Um, and that's all great. But without PPL, without the record companies being involved, then you were a little bit stuck because you still couldn't do anything uh, because you had to get both of those industries to actually work uh, together. 
Um, so, uh, so you've got the, the complication there. You also have the complication that PRS is the collection agency in the UK, uh, as is PPL. You've then got people like Sound Exchange in the, in the, in the US, um, uh, CSAC and ASCAP and the equivalents of PRS uh, in the US as well. You've got equivalents in Canada. You've got equivalents here in, in Australia and so on and so forth. So you're already talking about a set of people where you need multiple people to agree. You need um, each individual territory to agree um, for something which is global in nature, like a podcast. Um, so you begin to understand how complicated it's been to actually get any of this working in the first place. Um, so that's a good start, uh, I think. Where we've actually got to is we've got to the point where there is a deal which is happening in the US at the moment. Um, and it's a deal with um, Sound Exchange, which is the PPL equivalent, the, the, the companies that look after the, the record companies. Um, there's a deal which is going through at the moment with a company called Podcast Music. What Podcast Music are going to do is they've got um, individual licenses with the equivalents of PRS in the US. They've got a deal with Sound Exchange, the equivalent of PPL in the, in the US, um, and they should be able to do all of the plumbing that actually means that the likes of, of, of you and me, if we were a podcaster and based in the US, uh, we could actually go to podcast music and say, I would like 30, uh, 30 seconds of, um, of uh, Bruce Springsteen, please. Um, and they will come back and they say, yes, that'll be uh, $200 for a year. Um, so that's currently where we are, except they haven't actually signed any record labels yet. Um, so, so the, so the theory is they've got the plumbing, uh, they've got the plumbing, right. Um, the plumbing is in place for people to get paid for small podcasters to come in and for the scale issue to be fixed. So that's all good. So the plumbing is in place, but we don't necessarily know whether or not we might have a shower or a bath because we don't know what the license is going to look like. We don't right. really know how much it's going to cost. And, and, and most crucially, nobody is actually going, nobody is supplying any water yet either because there are no record labels <laughs> signed up. So we're in a position where at least we've got some plumbing in place, but we've still got a long way before we get the full bathroom, um, you know, in terms of the podcast licensing uh, uh, stuff. So it is a hugely complicated area. I'm sure that eventually podcasters will get there and will be able to use bits of, of music. Um, and I'm sure that we'll get there, but it's a really long and complicated thing. Yeah, because if you uh, load well. anything up onto Facebook that has potentially a copyrighted uh, song within it, um, they instantly uh, mute yeah, that. And, and Facebook are automatically doing that. YouTube are automatically doing that. So far, podcasts haven't actually had that, but we're beginning to see bots being used to remove copyrighted material in podcasts as well now. Um, yeah. And I'm aware that certainly Spotify is doing that, as you would kind of guess that Spotify would. Um, but I'm aware that, you know, other people are beginning to do that too. Um, and, the, you know, at the end of the day, the long and short of it is there is no legal way without... Um, involving your own lawyers there is no legal way of getting 
music into your own podcast at the moment, other than going out and finding somebody very good to make you some, which is what I did. Right. Um, so if you can, if you can go out and um, find a great composer um, who will make you some music, then, then great, go away and do that. But if you want to use Michael Jackson, then you've got a long way to <laughs> <laughs> that's fine I, I won't be using michael jackson um avoid and, it. yeah and, and and just adding to the mess that is out there um chapter 11 and chapter 13 in europe uh which is the copyright uh laws that are coming through will mean that you can't use snippets so up until now there's been um fair use um and it looks like if chapter 11 goes through you won't even be allowed to have fair use. So you won't even be allowed to have eight or 10 seconds without some sort of payment, but we don't know how they're going to charge. So yes, it's a total mess. Um, yeah, I think so. And, and I, I, would, I would also, by the way, warn you that fair use is um, it's not a right. It's something that you have to rely on in court. And once you've relied on it in court, then you've already spent $100,000 uh, in, in court cases, in, in court money so far. So if you're relying on fair use... Um, then, that's a, then, then, then that's a concern as well. So yeah, you know, you are absolutely right that there are some, you know, there are some real issues, uh, you know, involved in there. But you know, there is, there is um, you know, there are fair use exceptions going on, you know, all over the place. And hopefully, the EU will see uh, fit to not erode completely fair use, um, because at the end of the day, it's part of the Berne Convention. It's part of how copyright actually works uh, and so hopefully uh, the the you know the EU won't take all of that stuff away because you know regardless of whether or not the UK leaves or not um, we'll still have to comply with a lot of that stuff anyway so yeah so I think in in the time we've had which has been amazing thank you for your time um, we've covered pretty much where we see podcasting going and where we see radio going um, in summary though as a futurologist, where where do you see the trend? Do you see it more towards podcasting and less to radio as a balance? Or do you, you know, as in NPR, seeing the revenue balance? Or do you just see the two coinciding? But uh, And maybe TV losing out. I mean, where do you see the balance of these um, different medium, I guess? Because they are slightly different, although they may be broadcasting the same sort of content. They are slightly different medium in the way we consume them. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, I think really the future is that, um, uh, you know, the definition of radio as a live medium um, is already very old fashioned because uh, a lot of radio is consumed on demand. Um, and certainly when you look at younger audiences, then they're consuming much more on demand than older audiences. So you can imagine that continuing. Um, so from that point of view, you know, I would certainly see audio as having a great future, um, radio being part of that, um, if we focus on producing great content. Um, so that's a great thing. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the future, therefore, for podcasting in whatever guise um, is a really good one. Uh, and we can expect uh, we, we can expect to see an awful lot of growth in that in the future. I think that the outlook for live broadcast television is very poor. Um, and um, that will probably mean, unfortunately, that will have quite a lot of impact on 
um, all parts of our media landscape and certainly assuming that we are headed into a big recession as is probably likely to, to happen at some point in the next five yep. years um, regardless of brexit regardless of anything else um, you know you can you can certainly see those sorts of um, uh, of things happening one of the first things i suspect to go in that um, will be our spending on on uh, on uh, entertainment um and so uh, that probably doesn't bode particularly well for things like netflix and stuff like that um whereas podcasting and something which is um much more grassroots um will probably do quite well out of that so um you know so i've got pretty good a pretty good feeling in terms of where the future of audio and where the future of podcasting is um is is a going and you know, I'm pleased that I don't work for newspapers. Um, pleased that I don't work for broadcast TV um, because I suspect that that's going to be a very ro rocky time in the next four or five years. No, I, I, I fully agree. James, uh, I'm going to end it there because I've taken up a lot of your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been fascinating listening to you talk about both podcasting and radio. Um, cool. For the listeners, where can they, just remind them, where can they get hold of you and in terms of your your newsletter and your podcast yeah so if you're um if you're interested in podcasting then podnews.net uh, is where to go uh, you'll find pod news in your favorite podcast app as well or in flash briefings on the amazon alexa and on google home um, and if you're interested in radio and the future of that then you should get my weekly radio future of radio newsletter um, which is at the slightly weird uh, website address of james.crid.land <laughs> uh, that address again yes. james.crid.land um dot land, uh, where's that uh, uh, dot land is thankfully it's it's a nowhere place but i thought i, I have to get dot land <laughs> uh, so um yeah and that is a weekly uh newsletter again quite short much the same as pod news anybody would think that i was doing that first before i started doing pod news um and you'll find that um uh contains a bunch of information about um where radio is um is is uh, headed so yeah that's all good brilliant and uh where can we see you live next where can you see me live next there's a great question i am uh speaking in uh, I, I am looking this up as I'm I sorry, to you. I apologize. That's the easiest plan uh, of uh, finding it. It's weirdly, it's on the bottom of my uh, of of the newsletter that I send out uh, every uh, every week or so. Uh, every week or so. Um, so it's always uh, easy to find, um, you know, which is a handy thing. But yeah, so I'm uh, speaking at um, OzPod, which is a podcast um, conference here in, uh, in Australia um, uh, at the beginning of uh, October. Um, and I'm also um, at the uh, I'm also speaking in Adelaide as well, which I've never been to before. It's weird. All of the times in Adelaide are half an hour out. 
a very strange, strange time zone to be mm. in. <laughs> and uh, the next time I'm in Europe, um, I'll be in Barcelona and then in Prague. Uh, and in Prague, I'm speaking at, the, uh, at a radio conference, which is the ASI radio conference, which is all about radio research and how people get to the figures that they get to, which I found absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> not very many people would, but I found it absolutely fascinating. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's the beginning of November in uh, Prague. And I'm looking forward to that particularly because beer is very cheap in the Czech Republic. So you and the four other people going will have fun. (laughs) I think it's slightly more than that, but yes, I see exactly what you mean. (laughs) James, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating and uh, I hope we we catch up very soon. Take care. Indeed. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.